Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Okay. Let's jump into the fourth week of our sermon series on the book of Judges. And so far, we've been reading some pretty great stories. Ehud, the left-handed assassin. Uh, Jael, the not-so-innocent girl who drives a tent stake through an army commander's head. Truthfully, I thought I should have saved that one for this week because the tent stakes would have been great visuals. But here we are. And then we have today's character, Gideon. Gideon's not really an alpha male. He's not seizing the day and driving nails through people's heads. Truthfully, he's not all that uh, compelling or charismatic. But he's honest. He's honest. And from one truth teller to another, I, I get this guy. I get Gideon. So we're actually going to spend two weeks with him. This week, we're going to read about his response to God calling him. Next week, we'll read about the uh, unique army that he puts together and how he goes about doing it. So just a little background. Gideon grows up at a time when the Midianites have completely overpowered the Israelites. They have been oppressed. Their crops keep getting burned. Their livestock keep getting stolen or killed. Things are not looking good for the people of God. The promised land is not feeling particularly blessed. So let's read from Judges 6, starting in verse 11. Then the Lord's messenger came and sat under an oak tree that belonged to Joas, the Abyssalite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The Lord's messenger appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon replied to him, With all due respect, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his amazing deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and allowed Midian to overpower us. And so we step out of the story for just a second. Right, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, actively hiding from the Midianites, and a messenger of God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And essentially Gideon responds saying, yeah, we've been getting our butts kicked by the Midianites. I'm literally hiding in a wine press because of their raiders. So with all due respect, in my humble assessment of things, God, you are either not very good, not very powerful, or not really with us. Right? With all due respect, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his amazing works? And it's hard to tell in reading it whether he's being gutsy, cute, or whether he's just fed up with the way life's been going. 
But he's certainly not the first, nor will he be the last to struggle with those questions. You don't have to be human for very long before something goes sour, before you experience real loss, before you begin wondering if God is ultimately good and ultimately powerful, then what's going on? Why not use some of that goodness for something good, preferably in our life, our community? While Gideon has at times been pegged as a doubtful, cowardly character, I for one appreciate his honesty. I think it's refreshing. I appreciate uh, in the middle of things not going well, he has the strength and presence of mind to call God out, to question the dynamics, to seek confirmation that this divine covenant is going to keep going both ways. And God responds. So let's jump back in the story. Then the Lord turned to him and said, you have strength, so go and rescue Israel from the Midians. Am I not personally sending you? But again, Gideon said to him, with all due respect, my Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my household. Gideon's still not sold on the idea. First, he questions whether God's good, uh, powerful, present. And now the real gut check, Gideon questions if he's enough. He's the youngest, the smallest, from the weakest family. God, how's that supposed to work? Right? Even if you are ultimately good and, and ultimately on our team, I'm not sure I'm the one you want. Right? There, there are better options. I'm not even the best amongst my own siblings, and we all know it's true. And I wonder if you've ever come up with a similar list of reasons why you're not enough. Who am I that people would want to f follow me, right? be inspired by me, support me? Who am I that I could pull off something that big, lead a charge, take on that role? God, you must have better cards in your hand. And the Lord replied, I am with you. I'll defeat the Midianites as if they were just one person. Now a longer chunk. Then Gideon said to him, if I've gained your approval, please show me a sign. Please show me a sign that it's really you speaking to me. Don't leave here until I return. Bring out my offering and set it in front of you. And the Lord said, I'll stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and used an ephoth of flour for unleavened bread. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in the pot and brought them out under the oak tree and presented them. Then God's messenger said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and set it on this rock, then pour out the broth. And he did so. The Lord's messenger reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and devoured the meat and the unleavened bread, and the Lord's messenger vanished before his eyes. Then Gideon realized that it had been the Lord's messenger. Gideon exclaimed, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the Lord's messenger face to face. And from that point on, Gideon was filled with courage, became a mighty warrior, and never questioned God's plans for his life 
right? Not exactly. Within the same chapter we read, sometime later, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Easterners joined together, came over and set up camp in the Jezreel Valley. Then the Lord's Spirit came over Gideon, and he sounded the horn and summoned the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers to all of Manasseh, and they were also summoned to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali too, and they all marched up to meet them. But then Gideon said to God, to see if you really intend to rescue the Israelites through me as you've declared, I'm now putting a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece, but all the ground is dry, then I will know you are going to rescue Israel through me as you've declared. And that's what happened. When he got up early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And from that point on, Gideon was a mighty warrior and never questioned God's plans for his life, right? <laughs> Not even close. The very next verse. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just one more time. Please let me make just one more test with the fleece. Now, let only the fleece be dry and let the dew on all the ground be wet. And God did so that night. Only the fleece was dry, but there was dew all on the ground. And from that point on, Gideon was filled with courage, became a mighty warrior, and never questioned God's plans for his life, right? <laughs> we'll finish that story next week. Spoiler alert, he's not done asking questions or asking for a sign. In the meantime, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gideon, huh? When he's not sneaking Bibles into your hotel room, he seems to have a lot of questions for God. I told Julia that joke. She's like, I don't get it. What? It's like, the Bible's in the drawer. It's Gideon. <laughs> if any of you are like me, you've tried asking these questions before. Maybe not face-to-face -face with God, but, but in some form or another, you've asked them of yourself, you've asked them in front of a friend, you've yelled them to the universe, screamed them into a pillow. With all due respect, God, but who am I? I'm not a mighty anything. Right? I struggle with very basic day-to-day -day tasks sometimes. Who am I that I might accomplish something meaningful, something lasting? Or, quite frankly, who are you? Right? Sure, I'll admit it. You've helped me through some stuff, but if you haven't noticed, the world's struggling. And not only is the world struggling, but there are a ton of people doing some super oppressive things, and, and they claim that you compel them to do it. God, like, now would be a good time to show up, to give us a sign, to let us know that everything's going to be okay, right? Just give us a sign that it's really you, and then give us another sign, and then if you wouldn't mind, do that sign in reverse. Like Gideon, we so desperately want to know that things are going to be okay, 
we so desperately long for a sense of certainty. We want to know that God is good. We want to know that we are enough. And we want to know that God is with us, that God's on our team. In the face of taking on something huge, right? We, we all want to know that everything's going to work out before we even take that, that initial step. It's the many what-ifs of life, sometimes with big things, sometimes with simple things. What if it's the wrong decision? What if no one shows up? What if I'm not the right person? What if the whole thing fails? What if my parenting style ends up enabling them? What if it ends up distancing them? What if I'm too strict, too loose? What if I screw the whole thing up? What if I'm too rigid with my employees and they no longer enjoy working? Or what if I get too close to them and it becomes hard to hold them accountable? What if I take that extra week of vacation? Will my boss think I'm less committed? What if the bank turns us down? What if our retirement fund becomes depleted? What if the cancer doesn't respond, the hip doesn't heal, the memories don't start coming back? All the what ifs. And as we see with Gideon, uncertainty that's allowed to turn into fear, it can immobilize us. It can freeze us in our tracks. It can keep us from taking on and accomplishing the things that we actually want to do. It, it's a painfully ironic turn that fear about the future can cause us to surrender the present moment. Right, can cause us to stop living the lives we want, even though the hypothetical situation hasn't even had a chance to play itself out. Friends, look at this tent, this field. Last night was amazing, right? Like, best night ever amazing. Like, it was not fun to wake up this morning amazing. <laughs> Hiccups along the way, certainly. Doubts that enough volunteers would sign up. You better believe it. Concerns about funding, fireworks, parking, and signage, of course. And let me tell you something about the people who pulled it all off, the leadership team that really makes all this happen. And I'm talking about Dudley, Wyone, you heard all their names, Trish, JT, Eric, Ken, Mark, the other Mark, Jeff, and the other Jeff, Haley, I mean, no offense to them, but who are they, <laughs> right? None of them are event planners, chefs, beer distributors, professional fundraisers. I've hung out with each and every one of them. Remarkably normal. Remarkably normal. And I know there came a time or two along the way in which they would have loved a sign from the heavens a sign that everything was going to work out, that the weather would hold off, that people would show up, that the sound equipment would work, that kids' corner wouldn't get out of control. Something, anything, just a sign. And yet they didn't let their uncertainty keep them from pressing on, from taking the next right step, from making it happen. And my goodness, did it happen. Did it happen. The French philosopher Voltaire once said, uncertainty is an uncomfortable position, but certainty is an absurd one. We'll never know without a shadow of a doubt that God is infinitely good, 
ultimately powerful and always present. We'll never know for certain that we have what it takes, that we're big enough, charismatic enough, compelling enough to do the kind of things that we all so desperately want to do. That's just not how life works. Certainty is absurd. The story of Gideon, in a backwards sort of way, it, it teaches us that there are not enough fleece or magic tricks in the world to truly assure us that we're on the right path. It invites us, encourages us, it, it compels us even to, to surrender our illusions of certainty, to relinquish our desires to know how things are going to play out. And ultimately, it, it challenges us to begin operating from a place of, of trust, of faith, of spiritual openness. Friends, more than what I have to say this morning, uh, let the United Fall Fest serve as, as a sermon of its own. You might be questioning your own worth or ability. You might be questioning God's presence or the Spirit's power and energy. You might have a never-ending list of what-ifs and uncertainties. And yet, uh, if the United Fall Fest has anything to speak to your situation... That despite it all, despite all the reasons, the doubts, the uncertainties, and insecurities, each one of you can do hard things, can do big things. And so as a community, let's not let it end here in this field under this tent. The Lord is with you, mighty warriors. Find your thing. Make it big. No more hiding in a wine press for the world to get better all on its own. Ask your questions. Speak your concerns. Be yourself. And then let's go. As a church, as a family, as, as an individual trying to find meaning and value in this world, be inspired by what took place here. Be inspired. As a church family, Know that, that I believe God is good. I believe that God is alive and well, and the Spirit's power and energy is everywhere and in you. And, and know that I believe in you. I believe that you are enough. In fact, I know that each and every one of you are enough. And so embrace the uncertainty, tap into the Spirit's power, trust who you are and, and how you do things. And marvelous things are going to happen to the glory of God. Amen.